Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's the founder of EcoSports and entrepreneur. It's Troy Aiken. How are you doing today, Troy? I'm doing well. Thanks, Alex. How are you doing today? Doing good. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to being, talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, awesome. I I grew up in uh, Northern California and kind of the suburbs of the Bay Area. And having two older brothers and a dad that played college sports, just athletics was just bred into me, you know, ever since I was a, a baby, had a basketball in my hand. And, and so basketball was kind of our family sport that, you know, all the brothers played, the dad played, but I actually really had a passion for tennis. So kind of later in my career, I, I started going full-time into tennis and ended up playing college tennis. So um, sports has kind of been just my foundation. That's all my friends are sports. You know, I love watching football on Sunday. Um, and so that's kind of my most, most thing that I'm passionate about. Um, and then about two years ago, a little over two years now, I actually went vegan. Um, I did it just kind of for health reasons, just to, uh, I thought it would be better for my lifestyle. And I loved it. I was sleeping better. My energy was better. My, you know, my tennis game was starting to improve, even though, you know, I'm not trying to go pro or anything, but I still <laughs> want to be better. Um, and so I, I loved it, but kind of the more I got into it, the more I started realizing about the animal welfare, the environmental aspects of it. And I started to realize that all these sporting goods were using leather or, you know, were not sustainable materials, all these crappy plastics that are not recyclable or biodegradable. And I was like, kind of a niche for that. So that's kind of how we ended up here. Now I'm working on eco sports and still playing games as much as I possibly can. You talked about basketball was that first sport that kind of got into your hands and stuff. Was there an athlete or someone that you kind of were like, Ooh, I want to be like this athlete in basketball, starting with just basketball first. Yeah, definitely. I, I would always say Steve Nash. I think just because he's short, he looked like me. He he was never the most athletic guy out there, but he just worked so hard. He just his court presence, the way he like passed the ball and was just such a team-oriented player. I I just modeled my game after that. And so Steve Nash has always been an inspiration to me. Talking about Steve Nash, he kind of was that undercard or that wild card. Was that kind of something similar you were going through with two older brothers kind of being the youngest, kind of wanting to prove to them that you're able to play at their level in a way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was always playing on their teams when I was younger. So I always, and and I was small all the way up. I mean, I'm still smaller, but I was, I was, you know, <laughs> five, seven and 115 pounds, my, you know, sophomore year of high school. So I always had a size disadvantage. Um, so definitely had to get by on, you know, a hard work, but I thought I was pretty athletic for given circumstances. Um, but also, you know, being crafty and sneaky and playing extra hard on defense that, people lack, especially at, you know, the high school level. Did that kind of give you an edge in a way? Because in my time playing sports, I was always considered the wild card. You never know what was going to happen <laughs> until I got out on that field and people would pick me last and I'm like, they would regret it. But I kind of used that to my advantage because you never know what you're going to get out of me. Do you kind of have that similar kind of style where you kind of want to show people that they don't know everything about myself. But when I get out onto that court or that field, I'm ready to prove something. 
Yeah, definitely. Especially having like popular older brothers and, you know, like every, everyone like, you know, thought that they were so cool or like my friends, they, you know, they scored 20 points a game, but I was having 15 assists and 10 rebounds and 10 steals a game. And, you know, that was never appreciated. So I always definitely like wanted to prove like sports was kind of my way of showing what I'm good at, what I'm, how, how I'm cool, I guess to say, like, I, you know, I wasn't the best talker, you know, of you know, my, my grades weren't the highest, but, um, so athletics was always kind of my way to show that I'm good at something. Did you always have a close bond with your brothers? Definitely. Definitely. They were They're three and four years older. So we were all in high school at one point together, which was super fun. Um, they actually didn't have the closest relationship because they were 11 months apart. And so they used to butt heads, which I was oblivious to being the youngest <laughs> brother. Um, but yeah, I mean, even to this, to this day, they're still my best friends. I think this weekend I'm seeing my, my brother, my brothers and my dad, we all have like a golf match going on this weekend. So like we still compete, we still, you know, play, we're still, we're all super close now. So what was the biggest thing that got you into tennis? Cause that's definitely a difference between going from basketball to tennis, different kind of mindset, different game style, things like that. Yeah. I would honestly say the individualism of tennis. Like I love that team sport was, or that basketball was a team sport. And I, to this day, have so many basketball friends that I'm super grateful for. But when my teammates would miss a shot or turn the ball over, I'd be like, well, I could have done that. Or when I would miss, I would feel so bad for the team that like, I wouldn't ever shoot the ball because I felt so bad missing. Whereas tennis, it's all on you. You win the point, you lose the point, you win the match. So like, I love that aspect that it was just, it was up to me. Going with that same question, was there an athlete that kind of inspired you with basketball? Was that something similar with tennis? Was there a pro that kind of was like, ooh, I like his style. I like what he does on the court, things like that. Yeah, I I mean, Andy Roddick was always my favorite player to watch. And I got to meet him a couple of times and hit with him once. Like it was it was super cool. Uh, But he had just a, a completely different game style that that I had. I mean, I don't serve very hard and he's the best <laughs> server in, in all of tennis. And I, I'm more of like a defensive, fast, quick guy that like basketball helped translate into a tennis player. Um, so, I mean, I love like a Nadal and Djokovic who like, obviously those guys are the best players. So they're offensive, but they're so good at defense and getting every ball back. They're just like, those guys are definitely idols of mine. Andy Roddick was my favorite. I mean, I loved growing up. I mean, I was playing tennis at a very young age and I still kind of do it recreationally. Did in high school, but it kind of was like anyone could join the team and it just wasn't like a competitive field. But Andy Roddick was so good. And then John Isner was another one. Kind Mm -hmm. of he was super tall and lanky, but he could cover so much all over the court that it was just impressive. Is there, did you ever get to go to any of like the tournaments? Cause I know that they have like tournaments in like local clubs and stuff. Were you able to kind of get experience with that? Yeah, definitely. I I've been to the U S open a couple of times. I've been to Indian Wells a couple of times. Uh, I've been to some, you know, chat, like 25,000 chat. I've played in a couple of challengers. I've played, you know, a couple professional tournaments. Yeah. I didn't do very well in it, but you know, I I've played against guys that are 300 in the world type of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's amazing to see, but you get to that top level that like John Isner's is just like that serve, like it would, it bounces over my head. It's just the most <laughs> ridiculous. Like those guys have another level that you just, you don't even know what it is. 
when you're going into like competitive sports and stuff, is there a way that you kind of prepare yourself? Like, how do you get mentally in there? Kind of like, I'm ready for this game or this match or tournament, things like that. Yeah, I, I, I never had the best mindset, I think, because I was always have fun over like winning or losing. I loved playing at a high level, but I didn't necessarily care to win or lose. And I think like hindsight that definitely hurt taking me to like the next level. Like these guys that are professional, like they're just, you know, freaks of nature. Their mm-hmm. ed- their edge to want to win is so high. Whereas I love playing with these guys, but I just didn't have that like next level. So I was always like, you know, you'd get the jitters, but it was just, I loved that feeling of like, being nervous and excited and all the emotions. And it was just, I wanted to, it always brought a smile to my face. So I was always kind of running around there and having a smile on my face. You talked about family was a big part of your life and things that kind of got grew up looking up to them. Was there anyone else that kind of played a big role in being a motivation for you? Kind of was that person that could tell you, go for your goals, go for those dreams that you have. Yeah, definitely. That that's a great question, and I appreciate that you asked that because the other podcasters I've had haven't haven't brought this up. And, <laughs> and there's definitely there's definitely a, a coach of mine. His name is Drew McDonald. Who he's been he was my like basketball coach since I was two years old. I, his son was the same grade as mine, Spencer, and you know we were buddies ever since two years old. To you know we're in fantasy football leagues together now. But but Drew McDonald, he was you know two time Olympic water polo player. Um, he went to Stanford. He, he is just an extremely brilliant, talented guy, but he also just had such a passion for basketball. And so he was a mentor on a lot of things that I did. And then especially kind of my junior, senior year of high school, I started transitioning out of being a basketball player into a tennis player. And, you know, I'd have like serious conversations with him and sit down with him and say like, Hey, I like tennis better than basketball. Like I want to pursue that full time. And he just was nothing but supportive and amazing. And then kind of in college, I would, we were like pen pals and I'd email him for support. So definitely would shout out to Drew McDonald. Looking at that situation, if he wasn't that supportive, do you think you would have taken that same path that you were on? Or would you kind of like think, okay, well, he doesn't like this. Maybe I should not go and play tennis. I should continue with basketball. Yeah. Well, he definitely had a big role in, in my life. So if he, give had given me advice I would have really pondered what he said I don't know if it would have completely changed my mind but he also I mean I had known him since I was eight years old so I had a little different perspective but like he had a pretty terrifying personality out there like everybody at our on our high school basketball team was just intimidated by him (laughs) um so if he if he came out strong and hot that I have to play basketball then it could have certainly swayed so I'm grateful that he was supportive of, of that decision Was athletics always going to be that kind of path that you were going for? Or we always get this question asked, what's our dream job? What was that dream job for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I wanted I wanted to be a professional athlete for a long time. And then as I stopped growing after kind of 5, 10, 11, it it realized that that wasn't going to be the case. And you start to see like, you know, I was a good athlete in a high school of 1200 kids, but you start going to colleges that have 20,000 kids, you realize that, yeah, you're, you're a small fish in a small pond. Um, And so I started looking into kind of like 
sports broadcasting, radio, even kind of entertainment, got into like a little bit of acting. I wanted to create some like sports TV shows was kind of a dream of mine as well. Um, and so, uh, and then eco sports being able to combine sports and, you know, be, uh, you know, being eco-friendly is, is also become passions of mine. So I always wanted to be in the, in the sporting world. It's just, how do I figure out how to do that? Was there any TV show or sports TV show that kind of caught your interest and kind of made you think, oh, I want to do something like this? Because when yeah. you said sports TV, the first thing I always think of is Pros versus Joes, mm-hmm. which was an old TV show that took average people and put them against real life athletes. And I think, OK, th- this needs to come back like I think there's so many different versions of that show. You have American Gladiators, Mm -hmm. Ninja Warrior, things like that. But when you said sports TV, that that was the first thing that clicked in my mind. Yeah, I I actually would love to bring it back. About like five years ago, maybe I started a YouTube series called Bet On It. And I would challenge friends and and other athletes, being a college athlete, I have other college athletes that we'd play one to three sporting games and we would bet on it and the loser of the trick shots or the events or whatever they kind of were mini sport sporting events would have to donate to a charity was kind of my thing so that was one tv show idea I had that I kind of got up and running and then One Tree Hill if you know that basketball tv show um, that really inspired me I created a tennis pilot that was similar to that as well Um, that it just kind of had that cw (laughs) <laughs> I caught, I placed it in college. So I was a little older than high school, but you know, that like 20 year old drama type of stuff. Um, but it was just tennis instead of basketball. I feel like any of those TV shows, you can take it at any age demographic and it would still work. Like some of these high school shows that you could put it in a college format and they would be totally fine. Totally. You have a, like a little bit more what like topics or kind of scenarios a little bit might change but it still would work in those situations doing these like pilots or these series is there something that you learned about yourself that you didn't know that you had that skill and could do that yeah definitely like I I essentially produced a a 40 minute TV show. So hiring actors, creating a budget for it, getting set locations, getting a director, a cinematographer, a sound guy, like there's just so many parts of it. And that I was able, I was a one man show and being able to put it all together. And like, that was never something I set out to do. Like, you know, graduating college, I was like, I, I didn't, want to create my own content but kind of Mm -hmm. being in los angeles you have to create your own content now being a podcaster as yourself that you're good for you for creating your own content um and so that was just like really cool to know that i could sit down and there's so many different aspects of like being a producer is so numbers and data driven and then also acting in it on that side and being creative was it was that to me is like the ultimate balance of of what i want and in life of having a creative and numerical outlets. Living in California, people know that it's kind of skyrocketing prices on everything's more expensive. Was the financial aspect of that hard or were you working, going to school, playing sports, doing this kind of all happened at the same time? Um, Yeah, it, it definitely was, especially like I was, I was a struggling actor for a while. And so 
Um, but I also was like a micro influencer and I did a, a deal with a company that ended up paying me a, a pretty good sum of money that was much more than I deserved for it. And so I just, <laughs> I, I simply took a hundred percent of that paycheck and put it towards creating that show. Um, and, and being a tennis player, I, I know a bunch of tennis friends, tennis court. So I was able to say like, th- that was kind of my visit biggest expense that I probably saved on was I got tennis courts for free. How did you, how did this company find you as a micro influencer and kind of for the listeners explain like that? Cause we, we all know like TikTok influencer, social mm-hmm. media influencer, what were you doing and how big did it get or what happened during that time? Yeah. So, so this deal, I was actually fortunate enough to have a friend that worked at the company. Um, and so he just sent my information to their team and they liked my content. So they decided to work with me. Um, but I, I mean, being out and acting, I created my own content. Like I, you know, just was posting pictures of myself and doing that type of stuff. So, you know, I got up to around 20,000 Instagram followers and was doing kind of focusing on that for a couple of years back in, I don't know, 2015, 16 thing. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah. And then there are just other platforms out there online that I could sign up for that brand deals are looking for influencers and would just start, you know, messaging brands and start creating deals. During this time, but pretty uh minutes ago you talked about you turned vegan was this the big starting point of that transition or was that kind of earlier before the college phase yeah well I graduated college seven years ago maybe eight years ago oh my god so, <laughs> so old um yeah so so definitely was way after I I just I didn't know anything about nutrition or health and I was just oblivious to it and I just uh, especially being a, a college athlete, like I just ate chicken and rice all the time. I mean, I, I didn't know any better. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was weird. I was just sitting at home one day on Facebook and it, like an article is like why a plant-based diet is better for you. And I just read it and I was like, okay, well maybe I'll try it a couple days a week. And then I was five days a week. And all of a sudden it was, this is silly for me to not do it full time. And then the more I just learned about it, the more I fell in love with it. Did you ever have that worry, like, am I going to miss eating certain products during this time? Or were you trying to see, could I test myself? And this is like a challenge I have set out. Yeah, definitely. And I, I ha- there's this one place called Benny's Tacos in Los Angeles that has the best breakfast burrito and I've ever had. And I'm a breakfast burrito connoisseur. And so I, you know, for the first six months, I the weekends were always free to eat whatever I wanted to. So I'd always chow down on those burritos. And then, so I thought I would miss that for sure. I always enjoyed like shrimp and fish was, I enjoyed seafood more than I enjoyed steak or chicken. And I I definitely thought that I would miss those, but now that I'm two years in, I don't, I don't miss any of it. What's your favorite meal? If someone listening to this that is vegan and they're kind of looking for that new recipe or idea, what would you tell them your favorite dish is? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'm just a big Chipotle fan and I love that I can get so much quantity with Chipotle still on the vegan doing both rices, both beans, and they have a tofu. uh, I think it's a tofu. I forget what it's called off the top of my head. I think they just got so Oh, so Frida's is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just got Sorizo in there. Um, so I like that. 
Um, I definitely love like a tofu curry has been uh, a go-to a lot lately. Um, so yeah, because there's sometimes when, I mean, lately I've been working out and getting 150 grams of protein, like in my new year resolution. So like I, it's easy to get protein on a vegan diet if you do it correctly. It's easy not to get protein if you don't do it correctly. Um, but just trying to expand my horizon on what I've been eating. And I certainly eat a whole lot more vegetables on this <laughs> lifestyle than I would have before. Do you feel living in California kind of helps you with that diet? Because a lot of people in California are vegan or go through that kind of diet change. Do you think that has helped been kind of if you live somewhere else where maybe it's not popular or there's not many options out there? Yeah, a hundred percent. A, I meet a ton of vegans out here, which is great, but also the restaurants that they, the restaurants in Los Angeles at least have one option that like is a hundred percent vegan. They market as vegan, yada, yada, but they also, they have some plant-based, fully plant-based restaurants that are also just to die for out here. But even when I go home to San Francisco, I'm surprised on how difficult it is. Like I'll go eat out with my parents or my brother and like, they don't, I have to like pivot so many different meals just to make it plant-based and like how San Francisco seems like such a liberal city a vegan friendly mm-hmm. city and yet like it's hard to do that which so I can't even imagine what like St. Louis is like or you know most of Texas is like where I've been to those places and been able to do it it's just like Los Angeles I think is by far the best place to be for it. I mean, we have plenty of Chipotle's, I mean, here in St. Louis, I mean, you can go vegan. Yeah, that would be the only place. And I see it on the menu all the time. And I always tell myself, I need to try it just to say I've tried it. But then I'm always that person that I go for the meat and stuff. But I don't think now I have to really think about I don't think we have many options here that I know of or I mean, it could boom at any second, all these restaurants pick up start finding places but i think if someone in st louis was vegan they probably know the places a lot more than i do right right yeah you definitely you definitely seek them out and definitely being involved in this world and and doing so much research you come across places that you would have never expected to be has your family been supportive of it are they kind of intrigued or interested in trying those kind of things or the dishes you have or when you go home with them they have their meal they have something for you it works both ways yeah they've they've been super supportive I think my dad has definitely been the most supportive he's like 90 percent uh which is which is great I'm really pushing for him to go that extra 10 percent um my mom didn't quite grow up on a farm, but like, she just has such a background of meat and milk that like, I'm really work. I think she's given up milk, but like, I'm really working on her. Um, but my brother, my older brother is a phenomenal chef. So he just loves his meats, his just, just cooking in general. And so when I go home, he'll make me plant-based meals and they're just absolutely to die for. And it's like, you can make this for yourself and it's delicious. Um, so I'm working on the, on the family, but they are, they're supportive of me. You know, when I go home, they'll have plant-based meals for me available. Um, but I'm still working on them to go full-time. I love hearing that you're not forcing them. And I think a lot of 
with social media and things going on, I think a lot of times people will force these things to people like you have to, you need to do this. And you haven't done that at all. You kind of just talk about it or you kind of share these things. And your family has been the first people to say, let's try this or I will make this for you. Do you think that's the biggest misconception about kind of going into those diet transitions is a lot of people are trying to force certain things at people, but instead of they should kind of just introduce and kind of just share more. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yes. And I had a couple of friends that went vegan, let's just say five years ago and just so pompous and like, oh, I can't believe you do that. Or like you, or like, you know, we'd, we'd order pizza and they're like, oh, we have to do this, this, and this. And it's like, ugh, like, and, and yep. so I like totally get the aspect of that. Vegans have this stick up their nose that they, they <laughs> that, you know, and so, yeah, so I, I don't try, especially if I like, don't know you, I won't try and convert you type of thing, but I've definitely had a lot of open conversations with most of my family and like my middle brother is pretty plant-based and like um, I definitely like grill into him about his, <laughs> his, his life choices, but that's just because we have a relationship where I can do that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I've, I've also had this conversation a lot that uh, if you can, like there, there are some restaurants in LA that are like, there's this Monty's burgers where it has these cheeseburgers and loaded tots and milkshakes that are incredible and so fatty and gross, but they're all vegan and plant-based. But if people could eat like that, like, I feel like more people would be willing to transition than eating broccoli and rice and beans all day long. Yeah. I'd rather have the cheeseburger and the tots and all that than broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But nowadays they're making such good, like, uh, imitation meats that it, I think sooner than later, you're going to be finding more fake meats out there and they're so good. And, and I personally think that they're healthier for you. I know that they're still using soy and some like chemicals, but you know, it's better than a class one carcinogen in your body. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you go to the store nowadays and you have such a variety, like you see the vegan stuff, the vegetarian Mm -hmm. stuff. And I think it's giving people kind of like, Ooh, I need to try this or it puts it out there. You mentioned that vegan has brought you to where you are today with eco sports. What talk about that experience and what has been the biggest message you're trying to bring to the public about your company? Yeah, I, I just want to bring change. And I think at the path that we're going right now as a world, I, I don't like the future that we're headed. So do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my way of doing something about it is that sporting goods use a lot of leather, which is a horrible for animals. It's super toxic for the planet. Um, and if it's not using leather, it's like a PU plastic, which sticks in our ground for, you know, hundreds of years. So, and, and a company like some of those leading manufacturers, they, they use like 700,000 footballs a year and then 700,000 basketballs and soccer balls and volleyballs and baseball gloves. So there's like 5 million just from one company of these balls, just sitting in our landfills every year mm-hmm. when we could use a biodegradable material or, you know, better, better stuff. Um, so I, I mean, I would love for the big guys, the Nikes and Adidas and Wilson's to start doing what I'm doing and start making eco-friendly balls. Cause I think it'd be a great change globally. 
Was it hard creating like the basketball or I think soccer ball and kind of make it feel like they're still the same product, just it's made differently? Yeah, definitely. And and that was one thing that I always wanted to prioritize when coming to market is that I needed it and wanted it to be able to compete with the best brands out there, um, especially because people are going to judge me based on, you know, that we're eco-friendly. It's like, all right, he has a little niche. Let's see if it's as good as these guys. And we say that we're as good as these guys. So we need to be. Um, so yeah, I had to go through some samples and some modifications and we're actually working on our second line of basketballs now that we've, uh, been selling through our first line and they've been selling great and people are, are interested in them, which has been incredible. And that's so cool that there's a marketplace for this. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but we've certainly got feedback on it and we are taking the notes on it and making improvements and, we should have our next line of basketballs out in another month or two. Has word of mouth or kind of just starting at small segments have been your best business practice with your company? Yeah. So we actually went live the end of November. So we're a month and a half in to selling right now. Um, You know, it's been a six months process before that, but we sell most of our stuff on Amazon. Just, I also feel 50 plus percent of people shop on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we get, we get some sales on our website, but definitely the main portion is on, is on Amazon. What's been kind of the feedback that you've been getting about your products? Yeah. I I mean, people like the balls. Uh, I would say just the biggest thing is that like, it's a little like firm, I guess to say, like, do you, do you know the Wilson evolution basketball? Yes. Um, like it's just so soft and like, I think they actually do use a, a composite leather, so it's not real leather, which is great, but it's still not great for the environment. Um, so our balls are kind of more like the Spalding TF-1000 balls, um, and those are you know a little more firmer. But uh, So that's one thing that our next ball will be a little softer, um, and then just trying to you know, keep, keep the durability as long as possible. If someone's looking at your social media, you play volleyball and I see there's a volleyball back there. Do you bring that ball to the beach and utilize it? And do people really notice that difference when, if you do use it? Yeah, definitely. And that's like when we were testing balls throughout the last six months, uh, like I said, I love every sport, whether it's soccer, volleyball, basketball, tennis, um, I would, I would bring the balls around to play pickup and, you know, I would, I would play basketball with my dad and we'd ask two strangers to play two on two and we'd use our basketball or our volleyball and and we just wouldn't say anything um and kind of the best feedback that I was getting was that they didn't have any feedback that they just thought it was another basketball that they were playing with with your company starting in the middle of this pandemic and very brand new was it hard getting it up and going or was it during this time where people are getting outdoors people are kind of getting back to that lifestyle that they've been living and it was kind of like let's do this let's get it out there now yeah i i think i do think people are starting to get back out there more which i don't know if that's a great thing given yeah. the current the current situation but um but i also really wanted to be up before christmas time and we were able to get our basketballs live before christmas and we had great results i i definitely think a lot of people were gifting i mean i could even see on amazon or the website that they would buy it from this address and ship it to this address but um 
with that said, we didn't get the soccer balls in, in time. And so the sales have been a little slower. The soccer balls went live, uh, maybe a week, two weeks ago. And so definitely saw a better start with the basketballs than the soccer balls. I think you need to make a pitch to Mark Cuban on Shark Tank about your basketballs. I'm thinking yeah. that, that would be so perfect. Like just line it up right there to him. Yeah, he would be a great basketball connection. And, and that would certainly be a goal at some point. I mean, we still have a long ways to go, especially because the NBA just signed a 10-year contract for their basketball. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be cool in 10 years to be the official basketball of the NBA. What is the big next thing that you want to do with Ego Sports? Yeah, I would love to start getting it into stores. So now that we're doing e-commerce and, you know, we're getting good headway on that, A, just want to scale e-commerce and start getting to the top of to page one. I think we've started to make it to page one on a lot of the good keywords. So we're getting sales, but, you know, you get in that top kind of four to eight spots and you start selling thousands of basketballs. But would would love to get into Dick's and Target and Big Five and those kind of things. And I've been talking to a lot of my entrepreneur entrepreneur friends. Um, and I have one buddy that just got a lot of his product. He's in a way different category than I am, but just got his product into Target and Walmart. And so he can help and knows all the all the connections and how to properly pitch your way into those sporting goods stores. What would you say has been the biggest thing you've learned about yourself running your own business, being an entrepreneur and kind of going down this avenue? Yeah. Uh, oh, so, so many things, so many things, but I guess just my work ethic, I think because my dad works 10 plus hours a day, he's a workaholic. My mom's a workaholic and, and not, not in a bad way. They're very great supportive parents. Just, <laughs> just, you know, they, they work so hard and, like my dad's in construction and put three kids through college, like mm-hmm. kudos to that. Now my, both my brothers are working and crushing and make up making a lot of money. And, and that's all great. And I've, you know, I've been kind of in the acting world. So it's been a weird, like there's sometimes when I'm busy and have a bunch of auditions or I'm on set and working type of thing. But then there's sometimes when it's super slow and I just like, don't know what to do. So I've always kind of had these side hobbies to like, keep time busy and pay for rent and those type of things. And so I think it's cool to put it all together into one thing. I've always had my foot in 12 different doors. So I think it's really cool that I've been putting hundred percent of my focus into eco sports and being able to, to see the outcomes that, you know, we're selling thousands of balls on Amazon and it's just been incredible. And that I do have a great work ethic and that I can put in the, the hard yards to be able to have results. Are you doing ego sports full-time a hundred percent, or do you have to still do like the acting, the side hobbies, the side hustles, things like that, especially living in California? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would, I would say that eco sports is full-time and I definitely put in at least 40 hours. And I, and I say that, especially because I work a lot of nights and weekends because uh, unfortunately I make my balls over in China as I've looked mm-hmm. far and low for a supplier and in the United States. And I just can't find anybody that makes balls. It's not like a price or a shipping issue. It's just, I can't find anyone. Um, but with that said, I'm working a lot from 7 PM to 10 PM and on Saturday nights and Sunday nights. And so um, it's definitely a full-time job. Even when I'm on the tennis court, you know, I have apps that I can or message messaging system where I'm working all the time. So it's definitely the full-time I do technically still have an agent that I go out on auditions, but now that's kind of a 
hobby and just something that is fun to do. And it's, it's fun to have a creative outlet and, you know, I get audition here and there and I get to act, but that, that hasn't been a main focus for a while now. A fun question. Has there been any audition or gig that you had in the acting side that has been memorable or something that was one of your favorites? Yeah, there were uh, a couple a couple projects that were really fun. One, I did a basketball commercial for the NC2A March Madness that ran for like three years. So wow. that was cool that I, you know, I was playing basketball and my face and, you know, every every year people text me like, hey, was that you on the, on the TV? <laughs> um, so that was cool. And then I booked a Hulu pilot back, I think maybe three years ago that was a recurring role. It was, um, it was called less than zero. There was a movie, uh, about, there was a book and then a movie with Robert Downey Jr. who started in it and they were going to make it into a TV show. And so I was on the universal lot driving a 1970 Ferrari for my role, um, you know, inside of like a $10 million mansion with, you know, hundreds of camera people around like three cameras pointing on me. Uh, so that was definitely like the coolest acting experience that I've ever had. Unfortunately, the pilot didn't get picked up. So um, that that pilot was a much different situation than my pilot. Like that was actually like pick, the pilot was produced by the studio and, mm-hmm. you know, had a $10 million budget to it, whereas mine had a $5,000 budget to it. And then, <laughs> I, and then I was trying to shop it to, to studios. Um, so that was cool. And then I finally got my first line on TV with uh, Dave, the, the little Dickie TV show on okay. FX. Mm-hmm. So that was also, that was cool because we filmed that on Hollywood Boulevard. So, you know, to be able to act as people are honking at us on Hollywood Boulevard, <laughs> that was a cool experience. If look at any role that's out there, is there a dream role that you kind of hope to have maybe in your future? Huh, future would, would be a different story. Uh, Spider-Man was always, was always <laughs> up there. Um, I actually think I auditioned for that back in the day, but I think they had 10,000 people audition for it. And Tom Holland is a, is a genius. So I'm happy to lose out to that guy. Um, but, uh, so that, that was a cool experience. It was like, it was a dummy script. So you didn't know exactly what you're reading for, but it was like untitled Marvel superhero movie for the casting director that cast that movie, but they didn't tell you anything. It was around the time that, Super- that Spider-Man was coming out. Um, but I also think, you know, I'm not sure, so sure what a good TV show is out there right now. Um, I mean, I'd still love to do a sporting show, something like a Friday night lights, kind of not a remake, but that kind of type of thing. Uh, but I like TV cause you're working every day. You have mm-hmm. 20 episodes that you get to do or 10 or 13 if you're on Netflix. Um, but so that, that would, that would certainly be a dream and it'd be cool to get eco sports running to the point where it's sustainable. And all I'm doing is just making sure that I have inventory and then I can spend the rest of my time, like being on set. Do you feel that at your age and being an entrepreneur and wanting a kind of a big kind of sector in the sports apparel industry that you're kind of proud of what you've been able to accomplish and kind of have, if people have doubted you, you kind of are showing them that I'm doing this. Thank you for doubting me, but I'm going to prove you wrong in a way. Yeah, definitely. I've had two people in the last six months that I just remember vividly that were super pessimistic and and negative towards the idea. And like, I was telling one guy about that. My mission is to replace leather. And he's like, well, what's wrong with leather? And then I had all these, I, you know, things for it. He's like, well, they've already killed the cow. You might as well 
use the leather. Oh, I'm no. like, well, <laughs> I would prefer if they didn't kill the. It was just so like this guy just like didn't get the concept of the idea, and so the fact that we've had so much success, and I keep I keep running out of balls every every day on Amazon, so I'm just trying to ship in as many balls as I can, which is a great problem to have. Yeah, um, but I think about those two people all the time, and just like we're doing it we're doing it and yeah i'm trying to take on nike and adidas and wilson and it's it's scary but at the same time there's only those kind of four or five big players and then after that there's not really other people where you kind of look into like the makeup or beauty brand or even like shoes like there's 10 billion companies out there but like basketballs there's only five companies that you would buy a basketball from so why can't i be the six i mean there's so much market share out there that everyone says this for anything, but if I got, you know, there's 5% of the United States is vegan. If I got 1% of, of the country, if I got, you know, 5% of those vegans to, to buy, like I would be a billion dollar company. I love the people that kind of say those comments and I've seen it so many times with even doing this show. Oh, you're not going to last after a year. You're going to quit after a month. And I'm almost going to two years and I post every single week for 52 weeks straight, sometimes double. And I'm here telling them like, Hey, I'm still doing this. You want to doubt me now? Like I enjoy it. And I think I see the passion that you have for your company. You're passionate about it. You're excited to wake up each day Mm -hmm. and kind of say, what am I going to do something for the world? What am I going to plan on making next? Is there a, I think when I was researching, you kind of give back in a way. Do you, what, how did that kind of start? And what's the big goal with that? Yeah, well, in right before the pandemic, I was again, sitting on my butt and I was like, I need to start like, you know, I always think if I get rich or whatever, I I can start donating and giving back once I'm rich type of thing. But I had the thought of like, no, I I need to start doing stuff now, even if it's just volunteering Mm -hmm. once a month at the the food kitchen type of thing. So I actually found uh, a tennis program. It was called Acing Autism that plays tennis with autistic children. And it was just the most rewarding thing for me to do. Like, I hope that I'm giving these kids a great experience, but like also it felt so good for me that I just wanted to start giving back everywhere and as much as I could. And so I also like companies that give back, you want to support them so much more than just I know Nike gives back a ton in their own way, but like, it's cool when you buy, like I have this laundry detergent that I love buying from. Cause every time I buy from them, they donate laundry detergent to like kids in Africa to, you know, other type of places that need laundry detergent. And I have the option to choose who I want to donate to with this company kind of inspired mine a little bit, but I need to, I want to grow a little more and get kind of base. But right now we're just, we're, uh, we're planting trees for every purchase that you uh, I think 10% of your purchase will go to planting trees. I love that. I'm all growing up in college. I was a philanthropy chair for my fraternity. So giving to charity, helping families out, that was so huge. And I'm mm-hmm. the same way. I will buy from those companies that give back, go through a charity. I mean, I see, was it Bombos? I'm probably saying it wrong. So whoever's listening is probably going to get yell at me. Yeah. Saying it wrong. But the socks company that when you buy a pair, they donate a pair to people totally. that are homeless and stuff. And it's just that mission gets so many people and they want to support that. So hearing that you do that with the trees and the different charities that you work with, have you made tennis balls for your company? 
Yeah. So tennis balls is actually one of the first ideas I had as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Wow. I really struggle with that word, but <laughs> as an entrepreneur, I stink at saying that word. Um, it was the first idea I actually had. The problem is that they are so they're, they're expensive to make in that. I, you can only sell a can of balls for like four or $5. And it was costing me about $2 to get it over here. And then Ooh. between like shipping it into Amazon and doing ads and all that type of stuff. Like it was going to cost me about $4 to sell a can of balls for four or $5. So it just, it, you know, you have to sell millions of balls for it to make sense. So I've Mm -hmm. never been able to make tennis balls make sense. And then I also found out that tennis balls aren't vegan. They have sheep's sheepskin in them. Um, So like it's 40% felt and 60% sheepskin. Uh, at least like the good tennis balls are. And so I've been trying to find tennis balls that are hundred percent felt and no sheepskin. The quality just isn't, isn't there. So I haven't been able to make them, but they are, they are on my to-do list. <laughs> so thinking about your goals and your future, what are your, what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? What are you hoping to accomplish professionally and business like that you want to hopefully succeed in over time? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'd love to be a a household name in the sporting good world and would love to spark a change throughout sporting goods and other industries in general that like, I think the clothing industry is one of the most toxic industries in, in the planet of just like how bad you know, polyester and cotton and how much water all that stuff uses. So while we're focusing on balls right now, I could definitely see us getting into like athletic wear, but making it eco-friendly athletic wear, um, you know, having that go down to bags and backpacks and shoes can be made out of material. Like I've even like the material that we use for our balls is they can use that for shoes. So, you know, you can have biodegradable shoes. Um, so that would definitely be something that would, would love to, grow to be large enough to do that and then have an impact across multiple industries. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Yeah, I I would say that there's no obstacle big enough that you can't rise above. But uh, I, I, again, like I'm taking on Nike and Adidas and competing against some of these monsters out there, but there's so much market share. Like there's no market that's saturated if you're passionate about it. And if you're good at it, um, that, that you, you know, you can do anything like you can spark change. And I think the biggest way to make change is to make change within yourself And I think, you know, I did that by finding kind of veganism and it spiraled into all of this world that I'm currently living in now. Um, So I would say if there's something that you're passionate about, I would, I would go after it. Well, Troy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future has for you. Thank you so much. and, And thanks for having me. And thanks for also inspiring people on your end and allowing me to inspire people. Tune in next time you hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.